You're listening to Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. I'm Troy Kitch. This spring's devastating earthquake in Japan registered in at a magnitude of 9.0, and that ranked it among the top five largest earthquakes in the world since modern record keeping began in 1900. The quake triggered powerful tsunami waves reaching heights of up to 24 feet high and traveling miles inland along the Japanese coast near the epicenter. As the tsunami receded, mountains of debris were carried back into the sea. Boats, buildings, appliances, plastics, metals, wood, rubber, all shapes and sizes of debris either sank near the shore or floated away. Today we're going to take a look at what we know about the fate of the debris that washed into the ocean last March. Where is it now? When is it going to make landfall? How much is out there? And is it dangerous? To help us answer these questions, we're joined on the phone by Kerry Morishige. Kerry is the Pacific Islands Regional Coordinator for the NOAA Marine Debris Program. I reached her at her office in Honolulu. I began by asking the obvious question. Where exactly is all of this marine debris right now, nine months after the Japanese earthquake and tsunami? We don't know exactly where. NOAA worked with NASA to get satellite imagery very soon after the tsunami, and we were, in fact, able to track the debris field, some of the pictures that folks have probably seen in the media of the large patches of wood and other debris. Those existed very soon after the tsunami, but as of April 14th, we were not able to track that debris anymore because of the fact that it dispersed so much the satellite imagery that we have access to right now is not able to detect a single piece of debris floating in the ocean. Carrie said that NOAA has received a few floating debris sightings from ships, things like plastic bottles, appliances, and wooden boxes. But because of the way the debris is dispersed in the ocean over time... We don't have a good understanding at this point of the debris types that are still afloat out in the North Pacific, as well as the quantity of debris that might be still floating. And because we know so little, she said it's really hard to say how dangerous this marine debris might be. I could attempt to characterize how dangerous this debris is if we knew better what type of debris was coming. We're preparing for all types of debris and for human health and safety, we'll continually be monitoring things such as radioactivity. The radioactivity of this debris is highly unlikely because it was washed out prior to the Fukushima disaster. We'll also be on the lookout for any debris items that contain hazardous materials, and we're working on protocols to deal with all of that. But without a good understanding of the specific types of debris that are still out there, you know, really can't estimate the danger of it. Now, if you're surprised to learn that we know so little about the tsunami debris, you have to bear in mind that the Pacific Ocean is truly massive. It covers a third of the globe. And the ocean is a really dynamic environment. Now, if you have a mental image of debris from the tsunami floating along in a big giant patch, it's not like that at all. While there are certainly chunks of debris afloat, it's spread over a vast area. Some of it is sunk, some of it is floating below the surface, much of it may have been broken into smaller bits by the power of sun, sea, and weather. Here's what we know for sure at this point. The path of the debris is largely determined by currents and wind, and as it travels along, it's fanning out into a wider and wider area. Carrie said that knowledge of ocean currents, along with other variables like historical winds and weather, have allowed scientists to create sophisticated computer models to predict roughly where the leading edge of this marine debris is likely to be 
at a given time. It's not real time. It's a computer model that uses algorithms to try and predict the movement of marine debris. Here's a rough idea of how that movement works. If you look at the North Pacific Ocean, there are four major currents that form what's called the North Pacific Subtropical Gyre. These currents form a giant circular flow around the Northern Pacific. Kerry said that this is generally the path that the debris is following. It's going to go from Japan across the North Pacific, skimming the top of the northwestern Hawaiian Islands, down the west coast with the California current, and then back across the North Pacific towards the main Hawaiian Islands. How quickly will this happen? Well, Kerry said that the computer models predict the debris will likely reach the California coast sometime in 2013, then head back across toward the main Hawaiian Islands, reaching the island sometime around 2015. But the first landfall for the debris? That's imminent. The debris is quite dispersed at this time, but it is making its way across the North Pacific Current and it's fairly close to the northwestern Hawaiian Islands. She said that debris is expected to reach the northwest Hawaiian Islands as early as winter this year, pretty much right now. So now, the challenge is to detect it. The best possible information we could get would be real-time information from overlights or from very high-resolution satellite imagery. And then we would know for sure that what our models are predicting is actually where the debris is ending up. Now, this is another case where it helps to get a handle on just how big the North Pacific Ocean is. When you think of Hawaii, you probably think of the chain of inhabited islands that stretch from the big island of Hawaii to Kauai, the main Hawaiian islands where many people like to vacation. But where the debris is expected to soon hit land is in the northern reaches of the northwest Hawaiian islands. These stretch from 1,200 nautical miles to the northwest of the main islands. That's about the distance from San Diego, California to Vancouver in British Columbia. It's not an area that's easy to get to. It is more complicated than that because it's a, a protected area and so far away from the inhabited main Hawaiian Islands or the West Coast or really anywhere, you know, the furthest archipelago from the big landmass, I think, in the world. You know, logistics for debris removal, debris prevention efforts are logistically very difficult. And because of the travel distance to get to the Northwestern Hawaiian Islands, quite expensive. But that's not to say that nothing's being done. I asked Carrie if she could sum up how the problem is being addressed. She said that there are several pieces to the puzzle. There's the modeling to try to figure out where the debris is going. There's the observational piece to nail down where the debris actually is now. And then there's the planning effort to address what to do once debris reaches shores and reefs. Right now, efforts are of course focused on the area in the northwest Hawaiian Islands where the debris is likely to hit first. It's a big concern. Carrie said one small boat washing ashore there could cause a lot of damage to the fragile reefs in the area, and other debris could cause entanglement hazards for animals like the endangered Hawaiian monk seal. The role of NOAA's marine debris program in this effort is to help keep everyone moving in the same direction to meet this challenge. So we're working with a lot of regional partners out here, including other NOAA offices and programs. Obviously, the co-trustees of the Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument, which include U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, NOAA, as well as the state of Hawaii. EPA has also been involved, various state agencies, and a lot of the 
academia as well as industry are interested in getting involved as well. The numbers that have gone out in the media, 20 million tons of debris, you know, those numbers are unfounded. We don't know how much is out there. We don't have a good understanding out of what types, but we are doing everything possible to build that understanding and at the same time not sitting on our hands and starting those planning efforts now. She said that the public can help address this problem too. If you happen to be traveling in a vessel anywhere in the North Pacific Ocean and spot floating marine debris, the Marine Debris Office has an email address where you can report what you saw, when you saw it, and where it's located. That email address is mdsightings at gmail.com. That's md for marine debris, mdsightings at gmail.com. And we'll, of course, have that address in our show notes. And here's another way you may be able to help. For those of you who live anywhere along the West Coast, Hawaii, or Alaska, the Marine Debris Program is looking for help to track marine debris over time along the shoreline. In a nutshell, this involves regular visits to an area to carefully catalog marine debris that you find. If you're interested in joining this effort, you can send a note to that same email address, mdsightings at gmail.com, to request a copy of NOAA's Marine Debris Shoreline Survey Field Guide. So now you have a pretty good sense that this is a really complicated problem, and it's one that will be with us for many years to come. Well, what's the worst case scenario? Well, there's a possibility that boats and other heavy objects could wash ashore in sensitive areas, damage coral reefs, or interfere with navigation in Hawaii and along the west coast. The best case scenario? That most of the debris will break up, disperse, and eventually degrade, and largely spare coastal areas. Either way, Kerry stressed that we need to keep in mind that this isn't a one-time problem. Marine debris is a really big, ongoing global issue. In the Pacific, in particular, a lot of it ends up passing through the Hawaiian Islands in Kerry's backyard. It is part of a larger problem, a global problem, and we see marine debris coming ashore on all of our islands every single day. So it's just not this one-off event, and we don't typically get marine debris, and now we are. We always get marine debris. There's quite a bit of accumulation areas in the main Hawaiian Islands. So marine debris is a big problem that's not going away, and that includes the debris from the Japanese tsunami. And even in the best-case scenario, we're going to be dealing with this debris for many years to come. Good news is that NOAA and its partners know quite a lot about marine debris, and its challenges and how to meet those challenges and there are a lot of people working to protect our natural resources and coasts. Visit marinedebris.noaa.gov for more on the Japanese tsunami marine debris problem and to learn much much more about the global marine debris problem that we all face. We hope you'll also visit us at oceanservice.noaa.gov don't forget to check our show notes on our podcast page for that marine debris email address we mentioned a few minutes ago and for links to more information about the marine debris problem. Just look for the podcast link on our homepage. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, you can send us an email. We're at nos.info at noaa.gov. Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll return with our next episode in the new year.